0: Well, good morning, Randall with the Big Ball of Twine podcast, episode 45. Talking about, um, spent the morning talking about how we respond to stories and just recognizing that we do, like right now, a story about what those sirens are about. Noticing our stories and how we respond to them and then what, we do, what do we do with those um, thoughts and how do we cling to them over long periods of time and then how do those um clingings as you will or graspings shape our lives and have shaped our lives and maybe will shape our lives so let's see how this goes let's strap in let's get going all right this morning it's woo, chilly about 44 degrees. You can see my dress. Fall is definitely here. in uh, part of the United States where I live. Feeling a little um, drawn to talk about the stories that we cling to. So I have my own stories that I cling to. And the more I breathe into this idea that stories are just thoughts in my head, they're not really real, they're um, a version of the past that I have developed in my head that doesn't um, necessarily ring true with what actually happened. But I cling to that story and the idea of it, and I use that story in my mind sometimes to justify a behavior, sometimes to... Um, fall back on for comfort and sometimes um, I don't even know I'm doing it, which is part of what I like to talk about today is that we don't always recognize, we mostly do not recognize until we start to become aware, we don't recognize the stories that we're leaning into and how they drive our lives. So I have my stories And while we're talking today, I'd like you to think about the stories that you have, that you cling to, you hold on to, you grip on to, or whether you know it or not, maybe while we're talking, you'll think about your stories um, and how they guide you, how they drive you, how they move you through your life. What about those stories keeps you stuck? um so when i say we stick to stories we hold them we grip onto them there is a buddhist tenet an idea a story if you will that grasping and clinging is one of the problems that we face as humans one of the bigger issues that we that we face is the idea that we grasp and cling to certain things whether it's an idea a thought uh a thing right uh, a an item maybe it's an old necklace from your grandmother maybe it's it's a an old trinket maybe it's a as i said a notion an, an idea maybe it's an idea that you had that you're trying to create in your life maybe it's an old story of abuse, whether you were an abuser or you were abused. Maybe it's an old idea or an event. Maybe the event was something that happened to you or that you made happen. And we hold on to these stories, these ideas, these events, we hold on to them to justify often our behavior. Um, this happened, therefore that's what I did. Or I saw this happen, and I've come to this conclusion. And that conclusion then drives our behavior. That's the thought. I saw something, I draw a conclusion, and then I never question it again. I just roll with whatever that is. And that can be pretty hurtful to yourself, to others. It can be... Limiting, certainly, it can be limiting. I have found clinging to thoughts, especially being limiting. I grew up um, as a very small child, was always the smallest kid in my class, partly because uh, my mom started me early, a year early, so everybody was <laughs> everyone was generally a head taller than me or more and So being the smallest, I tended to be the one that was bullied. And so just talking about what we're saying, I have a story in my head that the reason I was bullied was because I was small. That's the reason I use. When in fact, that is not the reason I was bullied. The reason I was bullied was that other children had some shit going on in their lives and they were acting out on me probably on other children, uh, I know for certain there were some bullies in my younger years that were I know were picking on other kids or bullying them. Not just me. But as a child, it felt like it was about me. And so I made it that way. Um, as a child, I made that story about me and I carried that through my life into all kinds of situations. It was kind of what we've talked about before, the water I swam in as a fish. Like a fish does not see the water they swim in. We do not generally think about the air that we breathe. It's just part of our bodies that we go through the day, we're breathing, we might not think about breathing the entire day. So a fish swims in the water, doesn't think about its water. We don't think about the fact that we're speeding through space and spinning at 900 plus miles an hour Uh, as the earth spins. We feel like we're standing still if we stop and stand still, when in fact, that is not the true story. That is not the truth. We are actually spinning with the earth as the earth spins on its axis. So my story of being bullied was something I needed to question I needed to look at and see what was true about that. What was accurate? Well, it was accurate that I was being bullied. That's not really up for debate. Um, Kids use their fists and their feet and their words and their, um, their bodies to abuse me as a kid. So that is not really something that's debatable. My story about why it happened has shaped my life. So the why is it was me. They didn't like me. I was small. Um, I was an easy target. I was weak. Uh, I have a whole lot of stories there. So it would have taken a lot for me as a child to notice that this was not about me that those children, its funny, it's hard to even call them children, they seem so big to me. But they were just my age, or maybe a year older. And sometimes they were much older, but still, they were kids, they were children. Sometimes pretty little kids, when I think about being bullied at five, those kids were five and six, and they were just little kids like me, and yet I see them as bigger stronger, more powerful. So when, in my mind, when I feel like um, I'm being bullied, my mind creates a story that I'm being bullied. I have certain reactions to that, or have had certain reactions to that. I don't generally have those reactions anymore because I've done a whole ton of work around that. I've done... Uh, EMDR, I've done therapy, other therapies. And basically just spent a lot of time thinking about what was actually true then. And that's not the only things that I've dragged along as stories. My brother, I had a lot of stories about him that turned out to be just my perspective. And I think that's the problem is we forget that When something happens or we witness something or something happens to us, that we forget to be discerning about that event. We take it, I guess, on face value, right? We take it as it just came and now it's happening to us and now we're going to have our reaction. And we don't spend too much time going back and asking questions about it. We might... Um, if we witness an accident, we might have to replay that in our minds to tell an officer what happened. Or uh, maybe, in my case, a friend recently fell and broke their wrist, their lower forearm, and had to recount. I had to recount what happened so that the doctors could have an idea which way to start there. And this person's version was different than my version, because it happened to them. And I was 15 feet away, 10 feet away, and I saw it differently. They felt like they fell on their arm in a different way than I saw it. So then the doctor takes that information and, and goes and does their thing, right? They have their story, now they're responding to that story. But our ability to recall events even instantly has always been under question. And for good reason. I'm not saying we are not accurate. I'm saying we're only as accurate as we can be. And so when something happens or we hear something, we hear words, uh, maybe we hear someone say something, and we hear the words, but we have no idea of the intention. Often we don't even bother to question the intention. Certainly in this Time of people saying things and it being offensive to a fairly large group of people, um, that becomes a thing. And it's pretty rare when someone steps into questioning a huge group of people and why they think that what they think and what their conclusions are. So we don't do a really good job of questioning what's being said or why we respond the way we do to something that's being said or an event that happens. Generally speaking, as humans, we see something and we, re- we just react to it. We don't spend time, even in the moment, let alone later, thinking about what was happening <clears throat> and, how it, and how it churned up something in us. Because that's what this is about, right? We're, we're talking about our big ball of twine, how we can unwind that. And one of the ways we can unwind it is to notice our stories. Notice the way that we allow our stories to guide us. And not say that the story didn't happen, but to look at how the story came into our world and how we responded to it and what we then did with it. And do we wish to continue with that, continue with that method do we want to continue with that um, momentum as I've called it, when we hear a story and it has we give it some value, we give it some weight, it gets momentum and starts staying at certain levels in our bodies, and maybe if we retell the story enough times, it morphs and changes and becomes stronger and harder and we're, Rougher to work through because we have ingrained it in our bodies and our lives in such a way that it's hard to look back on it and go, Well, am I sure that's what happened? Am I absolutely positively sure that that's true and it really happened that way? I've, I'm at a place in my world where something happens and I'm very clear I only have my perspective. I'm very clear that I will never have anybody else's perspective, I will just have mine. And you will have yours. And you're listening to this podcast. I'm speaking it from my experience. And you're listening to it. And you're having your experience. It is becoming the story of your day. I listened to Big Ball Twine podcast and fill in the blank. It was great. It sucked. It was funny. It was blah, nothingness. I'm never listening to that again. I think Randall's the bee's knees, whatever. You're going to have your reaction to this podcast. And it will be part of your day. It may be part of your life. I don't know. How would I know if this is like life-changing or shattering news for you? It might not be, but it might be the idea that your thoughts are pretty inaccurate. They're only a slice of what happened. A tiny, tiny slice of what happened. When I look back on the bullies who gave me shit as a kid, (laughs) that was so long ago, most of them I don't remember their names. Most of them I don't even really remember what happened. It's just the feeling of being pummeled or the feeling of um, fear, the anxiety that that used to bring up for me. I can still feel that anxiety of walking to school and wondering if I was going to get beat up that day. I can still feel that anxiety. It doesn't rule my world. Doing EMDR, doing therapy, doesn't change the past. It changes the way we respond to the past. And it can change the way we respond to the future because we're not responding in the same way we used to in the past. So we've talked a lot about changing our life trajectory, changing the routes that you take ahead of you. When you do this work around your thoughts, it will change how you see the world and you will start to respond differently to things that happen, to ideas you hear, to words that are spoken to your past. You will start to question what happened, what is happening and what might happen, and see it differently. I try to see things, (laughs) it's funny. I used to do this whole like process in my head of questioning a thought. And now most of the time when I have a thought, I I have some humor around it and it's often, yeah, that's not true. Or it's or it's it's probably not true and I'm responding to it as if it is. And I take a deep breath and I I notice the trajectory of my world based on that thought. And I start to think about how many ways I've gone that direction, how many ways I've said to myself, without even thinking or talking to myself, I'm gonna respond in this way because this is how I do that. This is the way I respond to that. If this, then that. If bullying, then that. If my brother, then that. If my parents, then that. If certain thought, then that response. That reaction. Usually it's a reaction, not a response. A reaction is instant. A response is thought out. Then there's a reaction, maybe. Or none at all. Maybe the the response is to do nothing. Which is often the case for me. I hear someone say something that sparks something in me, whether it's um, anger or fear, or frustration, or even joy, I will step back and, and notice how I'm responding in that moment, how my body is reacting and then responding. The reaction is usually instantaneous, and the response might be not my stomach or the want to retaliate, the, the, the want to get even, the want to control, the want to laugh, the want to um, relax, maybe, or or just do nothing. And there, I guess the reason I bring this up today, I've been thinking about this for years, and I don't know exactly why today, but I guess generally lately, dealing with my dad who's dying from ALS and um there's a certain amount of story around that there's a certain amount of um you know this is Lou Gehrig's disease and I can remember being a little boy and watching the black and white films of him retiring in the middle of the stadium and I can remember people telling stories about ALS about Lou Gehrig's disease saying things that scared me Um, I can remember many times hearing about diseases that are terminal as we call them, life ending Right? are incurable ALS is one of those we can do nothing about it at this point except possibly extending life through some just a tiny handful of drugs and we don't even know if that's the case because there's no way to know you take a drug and you live as long as you live and you don't know if that extended your life or not. There's no no way to really know because how would you know if that drug made any difference at all? How would you know? There's no way to go and look at the route that you would have gone if you didn't take the drug. So, but these drugs in particular, when I talk about ALS drugs, um, they are designed to be used in combination with another drug and, There is a small handful of people that have ALS and a small handful of those people were in the trial and a small handful of those people might have lived longer. So I have stories about ALS based on the past and I have stories about ALS based on my knowledge now working with my dad's doctor, his neurologist and the team that's around him. You know, I don't have... um, a lot of experience with this kind of thing. I've had, well, my dad had cancer four or five years ago and, you know, cancer is very different. Cancer is something that's treatable in a lot of cases and um, can be, when it's found early, can be um, eradicated. At least we think that's the case. And my dad had cancer and he uh, took care of it and at this moment is cancer free but ALS is going to kill him that's just the plain facts of the world it's how I respond to it it's how he responds to it that's important now it's how we cling to our stories that's important now will we run around in circles like our hair's on fire will we give up will we say lots of cliches like um Nothing we can do about it. You know, those kinds of things, they're all responses to a story that we make up in our head. And while it's not really debatable that ALS is going to kill him, it's not really debatable, he might not die of ALS. He might die uh, by getting hit by a car out in front of his house. And one could debate that because he had ALS, he was doing certain things, and he was outside, and he got hit by a car. right? But we could go back all the way to he was born, and everything that happened to him led to him being in the street, and he got hit by a car. So he will likely die of ALS and how it takes over his body. And he's chosen a certain path in this treatment that will, generally speaking, be a shorter path to death. Because that is his choice. He is not choosing to take these um, drugs that may or may not lengthen his life. He's not choosing to get a port, a feeding tube, in his, into his stomach so he can continue to eat. Because one of the things that's failing is his swallowing. And his ability to cleanly swallow anything. Water included. So... Dehydration, starvation, these are the things that will take him and end his life. And I have spent a good deal of time working with the ideas that I cling to, like I should be able to save my dad. That's an idea I clung to for a little bit of time. If I do enough research, if I do enough talking with his doctors, if I'm smart enough, if I can have control... I can control the situation and I can make it the way I want it to turn out, which is impossible at this point. And that's a story too. Is it impossible that he could be cured? No, it's not impossible. Is it impossible that the sun might not come up today? Well, it's possible. Not likely. And at this point, it's not likely that there will be a cure for ALS in time to save my dad. It's possible tomorrow I could get a call from one of the doctors saying, you know, they found the switch in people's brains that turns that all back on. It's possible. Is it likely? It's about as likely as the sun not coming up in the next 15 minutes out here on my walk. Not super likely. Is it likely he will die from ALS? Absolutely. It is absolutely the likely outcome. So, knowing that, I still need to look at the stories I build around that. What is my story around my dad and ALS? What is my story about being his son and my dad has ALS? What is my story around, what am I going to tell my friends while I'm going through this? Who will I tell? Who will I not tell? How deep will I tell one person and not another? How much will I share? How much will I lean into the friendships of some people and not others? How will I deal with all of his things when he's gone? Because it's just me now. So when my dad dies, all of his things become my things. What will I get rid of? Here's a good one. So I have a big story about a piece of furniture that used to be my dad's mom's piece of furniture. And it may be older than her, I don't know. Um, It's a vertical, tall secretary cabinet, China cabinet kind of thing. The little flip down desk. It's quite narrow, it's only like two feet wide. And um, I used to sit down in front of it as a little kid, a tiny kid, three, four, five, six, seven years old, I would sit in front of it and lick my grandma's S N H green stamps. And if you don't know what those are, look that up. Um, I used to lick them and stick them in books for her to get, you know, gifts or things out of the s and green stamp catalog, right? So I have a memory of this piece of furniture, and it's now in my dad's house. So when my grandma passed, somehow that piece of furniture transferred into my dad's house twenty. 500 miles away I think I don't remember the story but somehow my dad had it shipped out to his house and now oddly enough it's going to fall into my hands and I don't necessarily have bad stories about that I just have sort of ambivalence to that piece of furniture and yet I have to decide what to do with it do I take it home I don't have room for it. I mean, you could argue I could slide something out of the way and put that in one of my rooms, right? I don't have more than, I don't have much in my world right now. I have a very minimal life and not a lot of room for even a two foot wide, six and a half foot tall China cabinet secretary thing. Um, So I have to decide what to do with it. And I have stories about it. It's old. It's worth money. It's, I don't even know if it's worth money, but this is the story. It's old. It's worth money. It's an antique. It's probably, I would have to guess, at least 80 or 90 years old, maybe older than that. I don't know how I would know. Um, I've looked for like stickers on it or markings, and I don't find anything that actually tells me how old it is. And I know someone could probably tell me. And, and I would know then what the value of it is. At least I would know the value uh, that some person of some knowledge would tell me it's worth. And it's not about the value. I don't I actually don't care what it's worth. I'm more apt to just give it away than I am to go through the hassle of selling it. Even if it's, I don't know. I don't know what my limit would be. So I have a story that I have a limit to what I'm willing to do with this piece of furniture I have a story about the value of it I have a story about its, its value in our family I have a story about what I'm supposed to do with it and my dad's been very clear he doesn't care what I do with this stuff he's very clear he doesn't care he said you can throw it away there's certain things he'd like me to give to certain people and I'm happy to do that I'm happy to um, take the time to get those things to the people he wants me to get them to Happy to do that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on things that I know he doesn't have much attachment to. So the things he has attachment to, I'm willing to stick with that story he's given me and do with it as he wants me to do. But then the other things that don't actually have much story, I'm going to have to figure out uh, what I want to do with them. And, you know, there's a story around what to do with my dad. So he has his wishes, and that involves cremation and what he wants me to do with, what he would like me to do with his uh, ashes, right? And there's some things that are very clear. And then there's this ambiguous place of wherever with what's left over. So it's like I have some very clear things that I have a story about, Like, my story is that's important to him, so I'm going to do that for him. I can. And may take me a while, but I can do those things. And then I have a story about what am I going to do with the the leftovers that um, may or may not be uh, left over for me to do anything with, right? So I have a story about all these things. And all those stories make up who I am. All those stories make up my day. They make up my lifetime, right? Like I said earlier, there are stories that we have, that we hold onto, we cling to, we grip onto tightly, and they have defined us. My relationship, my story of the relationship of my dad, has defined my life, led it in certain ways, leaving it in certain ways for me to deal with now. So all of the stories combined of my life, just like yours, you have all your stories that have guided you and they leave you with where you are today. The question being then is, what will you do now? What will you do with these stories that you've held on to? What is it that you're willing to um, maybe stop doing or modify? what you're doing or at least let go of the grip and see what happens are you willing to recognize and be this is a tough one be okay with the way you have clung to stories and it has defined your life because I got to tell you that's a hard one when you realize um, as I have start to realize the ways in which your life has been driven by your clinging, your grasping, your holding on to, your defining yourself through these um, stories that you hold on to and therefore what you do with them. It can be brutal. It can be a nut punch, let me tell you. I have been sitting in therapy or walking or Uh, doing something totally off topic and had something come into my head and thought, wow, I have done many, many things in my life based on my interpretation of something that happened or an interpretation of a thought and my constant replying to that thought in only one way. You could, you could probably draw a line, a straight line or a crooked line or connecting the dots kind of line to everything I've ever done leading to this podcast. That's not an irrational way to look at things. Not illogical. It's All the dots that I have connected in my life lead me to walking down this path and telling you, sharing with you how this is for me. And partly, this part of my day today, sharing this with you, is responding to the ways I look at how my story defines my life. So by telling you this, I start to define my life in another way. Right? I make change by telling you, uh, I make change for me, I can't say what will happen to you, but I can make change for me by sharing this with you. Um, Putting it out in the world has a way that it makes me feel and the way that it drives me. It allows me to speak out loud these things and make them more real for me. And so what's real for me today is that I work and fall into and live in a space where I try very hard not to make up new stories and to question my old stories and to notice them and to take accountability for my responses to stories that may have hurt people or me. I take some accountability. I I forever did this thing, this behavior, because I was driven by these thoughts that were inaccurate or a miscalculation on my part or a, um, just an outright I wasn't even old enough to make the right conclusions about what was happening and so I made up a story in my little brain that made sense to me at the time and lived my adult life based around a childhood assumption I did that with my brother I made assumptions about him as a child that were just my way of living in the world and At the time, as a little child, I didn't know to notice he was another person and having a whole different experience on the planet than mine. It wasn't until I was much older that I stepped back and went, wow, he's actually a person. He's not X, Y, and Z, all of the summation of my stories. He's actually a person who is afraid, who is lost, who is angry, A lot at me because of my assumptions. And when he died, a lot of that died with him. I hope that he has sorted that out in some way. I know it's taken me time to sort that out. But I'm asking you today, as I wrap this up, to take a look at what you're doing. Why do you do what you do? What is the story you're, you're basing this action on? I'm doing X because I believe Y. (laughs) Man, it can be brutal, but I'm telling you, there's there's few things better than taking a look at why you do the things you do and trying to assess and then change those behaviors based on some real-life knowledge. And sometimes the real-life knowledge is I didn't know fuck all about what was going on, and I just drew my conclusion and I went from there that is very freeing. I didn't know. Fuck all. And then I made some decisions. And I went with it. And just get out of my fucking way because I know what I'm doing. <laughs> it's like I have made a lot of mistakes in my life based on those assumptions. And I'd be willing to bet you have too. So let's own them together. Let's. Take some time to own the things we've done and to take a look at why we did them, own them, honor that we did the best we could, and then let's do better. Let's take a a time to move forward, maybe um, make things right with other people, make things right with the world, make things right with you. Start by making it right with you. Recognize that you made decisions based on your instant thoughts about something and then you had some actions that maybe hurt yourself for long periods of time. I certainly know that's been the case for me. So I'm asking you to take a look at your world. And then um, I'd love to hear how that works out for you. Um, And maybe we could talk about that another time. But I I hope that this brings you some peace, as it has for me. It's not easy, it's rough. Well, that's a story, that it's gonna be rough. I don't know if it's gonna be rough for you. Maybe it's just like easy peasy for you. For me, it's been a bumpy road. Some things have been easy, some things have not been easy. So if that's the case, um, I would ask you to take a look and be brave at some of these things might be a pain in the ass and some of them might be life changing and if that's the case um, I wish you well on your journey and um, let's uh, come back here again another time Hey, thanks for listening today just want to Remind you that as you leave, to hit the subscribe or follow or whatever button your software has so you can hang out with me and listen when you feel like it and be alerted when, when I stick something out there you might want to listen to. If you have a question that you'd like me to address, maybe on the podcast or maybe just privately, send an email to bbotpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for coming in. And listening, I hope you have a great day and I hope you treat yourself and others kindly.